Welcome to the Player One, Player Two podcast. Episode 27, Don't Know Much About History. Hi, I'm Eric, and I'm Player One. I'm Kathleen, and I'm Player Two. Welcome to the Player One, Player Two podcast, the podcast about board games and the two-player experience of playing board games. Today we're going to talk about a kind of game that we have never talked about or played before. It was an, I wouldn't say impulse buy, but it was something that I got with uh, a gift card that I had from Christmas. It was expensive. I probably would not have purchased it otherwise. And I can say that I'm delighted that I did. Uh, It is a PAX game. We'll talk about more about what that means later. But the game is PAX Porfiriana. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you what type what type of game is it that we don't have that we've never had? Do you just mean like the PAX sort of system, or do you mean PAX games? I've been reading a lot about them as a whole. I believe that there are five at this point. Okay, uh, and they are made by a father and son duo predominantly. Uh, although the most recent was just made by the son. The Phil is the father. Phil Eklund and Matt Eklund is his son. Okay, they. Pax games, the five Pax games, let's see if I can get this in order on the first try. Ready? Mm-hmm. Pax Proviriana, the one that we have. Okay. Which is about the Mexican Revolution. Right. After that is Pax Renaissance, which is about... The Renaissance? Yeah, you got it. The Renaissance. After that is Pax Premier. Mm-hmm. I think that I was intrigued by the Pax games because Pax Premier 2nd Edition sort of like was a huge hit this year. With heavier gamers. Hmm. Uh, and, and then after PAX uh, Premiere, there is PAX Emancipation, which is the controversial one that okay. people also don't seem to like. And then the fifth one, which just came out last year, is called PAX Transhumanity, which okay. is not a f- historical game. It's more of a future game. PAX games, as far as I can gather from reading online, tend to be in this weird space between like heavy Euro economic and almost this is going to be wrong, but it will give you an idea about the game more so like shades of a war game, but it's not a war game. I mean, I, it had lots of war game feels. It looked like a war game. I think, I think it, I think it's inherently the subject material. Well, the subject matter, definitely it's war. I mean, it's war game art. It's war game material. And the fact that a lot of war games pride themselves on being simulations. Mm -hmm. Like I'm doing air quotes here. Simulations because heavy war gamers like the fact that war games are simulations of historical Mm -hmm. events and PAX games beyond uh, other than PAX transhumanity are historical simulations. PAX Premier, which I didn't yeah. talk about what it is, is about um, uh, Afghanistan, essentially. And is many that the one different... we listened to a review about? Yeah. And many different countries huh. kind of jockey for control of Afghanistan. And, like, different warlords were trying to find their place. Afghani warlords were sort of working with the British or working with the Russians or working with many other countries over their own land to try and come out on top. And, like I said, PAX Porfiriana, the game that we have and we're going to talk about, is about... A number of different factions who were trying to overturn the Mexican dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Porfirio Diaz in the uh, late 19th, early 20th century. Yeah. So they tend to be sort of historical simulations. They seem to have economic elements, although mm-hmm. they're not economic games. And the reason I think that they feel like a war game to me, and probably to you, is that they are they have the bones to be like hyper-aggressive. Yeah. Um, so I, that's why I'm like, oh, is this a Euro game? No. Like, I, I would be really hard-pressed to call this a Euro game. I don't think it is, right? Mm, no. But it has shades of the mechanically? Yeah. Kind of? I, I, I can see that. There are cubes in it. <laughs> there are cubes in it. It's At its heart, it's like a tableau builder. And it's all a card game. Fair? Yeah. It's all cards. There's a whole ton of cards here, like 200. You build a tableau. And essentially, when I was reading online about PAX games, the word that kept coming up over and over and over again, both in terms of the rules and understanding the interconnecting systems, was opaque. Hmm. Even when I Googled it just now before, and I was like, is there like a canned statement that defines a PAX game? Well, the answer seems to be no. (laughs) But every definition I read was like, Opaque winning conditions, opaque systems, 
opaque rule books. This is not a game that immediately presents itself to most people as to how you do well or how even you're supposed to play effectively. Yeah. I had a much harder time than you did, I think, getting a feel for it. I got a feel for it pretty quickly. Kathleen, I think, really, only a few minutes in, was like, oh, I got this. Yeah, which, I don't know, it's just so interesting. To me, that's not the reason that it feels like a war game. It feels like a war game because it's real. It's about war? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's also, but specifically with real historical figures, like, acting in the certain ways that they would have acted historically, which I find both fascinating and problematic. So we watched the review for PAX Premiere. Premiere. Is that the review where they talked about the people who created this game? Like, was there like a discussion? Was this... About colonialism and... Yeah. How you present colonial... Yes, that was the game. You're thinking of exactly the right thing. Okay. And so does that mean that the people who made this are problematic? The lead designer on this game, the father, okay. Phil Eklund. Yeah. If you and I googled this specifically to read about it, and I couldn't really find that much. Mm. He is. He's got some some questionable political standing. Okay. He's not like a Nazi or anything. I don't want you to hear someone say like questionable politics and think that he's like a skinhead. Uh, no. Um, but he has. I don't know how old he is. I was curious. I was trying to find out how old he was. Um, I would assume that he's 50 plus. He has a son who he's been designing with for the last 10 years or 15 years. But he does have, in the first edition of PAX Premier, he includes an essay that is in defense of um, British colonialism. Oh, boy. Which immediately is like, (laughs) oh, boy, oh, boy. Yep, that's the one. I was like, I feel like we heard about this, and this is taking me to a weird, weird place. I didn't mention it before you played this, because I specifically read a long write-up of Porfiriana that was written by someone who said, I normally have problems with designer, this designer and, like, his, his political... Uh, sort of potholes that might present themselves. Right. But he said there is nothing like that in this game, which is why I got this one. Yeah, that's interesting because I was curious. I mean, that's... So before we started this episode, I was like, let me see your phone <laughs> because I wanted to read <laughs> a little... I says that. I mean, honestly, I just... This is why I find, I find war games really fascinating and problematic and, like, so, so complicated. Anything that uses real subject material is just so loaded. I mean, loaded is the word. I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's always a good thing or always a bad thing. I'm not going to come out on either side, but it is heavy and loaded and like worth consideration and all of those complicated feelings. And I wanted to see your phone because I was curious about, the people that I had been playing a game with. Yeah, you have, like, an avatar within the game that gives you a special mm-hmm. ability and sort of an idea about what direction you can go in to win, and they're called Hacendados, which in Spanish means, like, a big businessman, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, land-owning businessman. Yeah. And they're all real figures. Yeah. Or they were. And some of them are American. Uh, I think one of them was the mayor of Washington, D.C. Yeah, that's the boss. Boss Shepard. Yeah, I had him. But the rest are all uh, Mexican citizens. Yep. And most of them were shot. (laughs) They ended up dying. Yep. I think Boss Shepard died of appendicitis or something. Yeah. And then one guy died of old age, I think. But the others, all the others were shot during the revolution. And he was the mayor of D.C. I was right. So I guess as an aside, in case... uh, you're really parsing our words here. The interesting thing about PAX games is that they're not really simulations because they kind yeah. of drop you at the beginning of a period of time or a conflict say, and I don't... then you sort of write your own history. Yeah, I was going to say they're not really. When you were saying that, I was like, isn't it more like alternative history? Yeah, I mean, I guess that theoretically you could. And all the cards in the game are all historically based. Yes. Every single card. Yeah. Has real pictures, real facts, real names, real details, real everything. Mm -hmm. So it really drops you in and is like, well, if, like, you know, it just happens to follow real history, it could. But, I mean, most likely it's going to be sort of like, so simulation is wrong. But it's sort of like a, let's drop you at a point in time and have you go through this historical era. Yeah. And, and see, you deal with yeah. the socio-economical, political conflicts as they arise. Mm-hmm. And whereas Pax Renaissance is about essentially reenacting the Renaissance, this is about 
trying to topple a dictator in early 20th century Mexico. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> thematically, it's pretty heavy and loaded. Yeah, and it's so interesting because I don't... I find I found this to be an enjoyable game, but I know none of the history. Uh, that's true. I know. And, and I, every single card, you're like, I would like to kind of know more about, like, this lawsuit that I'm enacting against yeah. you to nationalize one of your enterprises. And you can kind of get a feel for it as you're playing the game. Like, yeah. oh, well, this is doing this because obviously this is going to make this person upset and it's going to flip this. Mm-hmm. You see some of the inner connectivity which I do think is interesting, but it is strange to play a game for enjoyment and entertainment. About That is so historically based. Yes, and that yeah. also, like, I don't really know very much about, which I will fully admit, there are huge gaps in my knowledge of history. Like, huge gaps. Um, even within American history. <laughs> North, this is North American history from yeah. ostensibly the last century, so it's yeah. not like we're talking about Roman history. No, and, uh, like, I had no idea who Boss Shepard was, like, and he is... The car that you played the first time. Yeah, and he's an American, American, (laughs) apparently the mayor of D.C. I don't, um, yeah, I I really, I didn't know very much about this, and I played this game several times and still don't know very much about it, and this is the kind of situation that War Games put me in, where I feel, on the one hand, it did forced me to learn a little bit because she googled a few different people two different yeah. people yeah and was reading about them and was like this is fascinating yeah and it, it is. is yeah but it's just that strange feeling of like is this teaching me something is this entertainment is this it's that line man like I mean, I is this feel... entertainment is it art is it education i think that i would be hard-pressed to say it's any one of those things but yeah. i feel very comfortable saying it's at least all of them yeah. Like, do I learn while playing this? Um, yes. Yeah. I would learn much more if I actually read all the text on all the cards. Yeah. Because there is there is actual historical forward information on these. Like, the card I was looking at is a mine. It's an enterprise you can build called the Montezuma, Montezuma Copper. What is Montezuma? Is that a typo? I don't know. No, that's... But it has a, a little blurb. It says, The vast copper reserves at Nokazari were worthless until mining consultant L.D. Ricketts found it found a way to exploit ore with less than three percent copper and then it has dates and says that it was a boom town with mine i mean like this is history that's a real thing yeah and there's stuff like that on every single card yeah i had a mine that was owned by buffalo bill cody and you can do things like have water uh like water was like dams that have like water projects mm-hmm. and yeah. depending on the other industries you have they make you more money mm-hmm. so yes i feel like this is educational yeah you can kind of get as much or as little out as you want. Which, again, is like something that I find somewhat problematic. Because you could just come and play this game for fun. That's and true. And never... But you could, you could do that with a D-Day game or a... Yes, I know, but that, <laughs> that that, that's the too. whole... That's my whole issue with with war games. If you're not... It's that... It's my whole... That is my whole issue. Like, at... Am I, what am I doing here? Am I... Because you can do some dark stuff in this game. Yeah, you can do some very dark stuff in this game. Like slave revolts and um, assassinations and... uh, Yeah, you can do some dark stuff in this. And you're tossing about things like assassinating a Hacendado's daughter, which is a card that we came out last night. You could have assassinated her and it would have uh, created outrage. You know, I mean, like, Mm -hmm. all that stuff is in the game. Yeah. And... If, I feel like this is one of those weird games where if you were to read every card as you played it, not only would it take like twice as long, but it would make this very mechanical card game really thematic and like almost like a story. Yeah. Like what I did was I built this mine and then what you did was that you hired strikers to yeah. strike my mine, which was stopped it from producing money and and then there was a, there was a depression and there were still people who were striking, and because yeah. of that, there was a revolt, and you know it caused more revolution to arise, and I lost control. Like all that stuff is in the game. Yeah, I that's mean, not like a weird scenario. I just like that's that's a very conceivable thing to happen. You also start obviously if the whole point is to topple Diaz, you start with Diaz in control, yeah. and his regime is first, and ostensibly the fastest way to win 
is to stay loyal and keep him in power. I think technically you're still toppling him that way via loyalty. Although in my mind, it makes more sense to think how, that how? you just keep him in power. Yeah. I don't really know, but it, it's still, quote unquote, a topple, which is how you win. Because the it's the Pax card. regime that wins in that case. So wouldn't that just be like, you're literally just keeping the peace? I think. So the fastest route to victory could very well be because... Maintaining? Yes, <laughs> because the Hacendados are rich landowners. Yeah. And so... And you're being subsidized by the government when the game starts. Yeah. You have like a base income from the government. And you get the most money. From yeah. the government and from the mines when you're in there. So, and like, even the thematically, <laughs> yeah. frequently, I have attempted to win with loyalty. I did once win with loyalty. You, yeah, you did. Because the game strategy, and it's not really something... This game doesn't really make me think about that as much. Like, when we play, like, even things that tangentially make me uncomfortable... Like an assassination or... No, uh, well... Or... No, I mean in other games. Oh, like, okay. even... Um, like Endeavor? Yes, an Endeavor. I like, I do saying. not... There are certain elements of that game that I'm like, I'm, I don't, I am not interested in playing that way. I'm not going to do that. And in this game, I think expediency <laughs> led me to be like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> like, and this game is entertaining. It does have a challenge to it. It yeah. is a puzzle. But it's not, I guess, until you sit down like we are right now and talk about it that you realize that the puzzle is it's a dark politics. Thing. It's definitely political. I mean, well, just I to mean, the, the puzzle is like how political machinations yeah. in nineteenth century Mexico. Yeah. So I guess before we get totally down the rabbit hole, Ugh. there's two things. One, I, I do want to say that we're going to look at this game with as much of a postmodernist bent as possible. <laughs> I'm not going to look at Prax Porfiriana through any kind of critical Phil Eklund lens. I don't know anything about him or what yeah. he actually thinks about things. So if you have a positive or negative opinion of the man, I do not have either. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about this game as this game. Right. I like. I don't oh, know enough man. about it to. I don't know though. You know me. Sometimes I have issues with that. But I mean, we can look at this game just for what it is. I think which I think has so. enough questions in and of itself. Fair yeah, questions. I, good I, questions. Yeah, I guess. I just it, like. Ugh. You so, know that's hard for me. That's like the Picasso order. Like, I mean, that's why I said postmodernist. I mean, I know, but like I. Oh, I grad just school can't. Cap. I can't. I have a heart. You know I struggled in grad school. <laughs> so anyway, the other thing I was going to talk about, now that we got that out of the way, because there are lots of people That's who are... That's how Eric's going to talk about it. I can't. smarter <laughs> and more eloquent than I am who do a great job of addressing this online. Like, if you want to watch the No Pun Included review of PAX Premier 2nd Edition, mm -hmm. they have an entire aside about uh, the Phil Eklund presentation of colonialism, its place in gaming... And Pax Premier in particular. Now, there is no colonialism in this game. There is, I like, mean, one American character. And there are some American... Well, there's an American intervention No, card. there's there's colonialism in this. There's absolutely, like, the indigenous people are things that you can... Oh, yeah, I mean, between Mexico and the indigenous First Nation yeah. Mexicans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's not really about... It's not a game about colonialism. I'll say that. Like Endeavor or like Pax Pamir. So Pax Pamir is like about colonialism. It's about other countries fighting over Afghanistan. Mm. And you are a warlord trying to okay. profit from it, essentially. Okay. This game is not that. It doesn't... It Now it includes historical things mm -hmm. that are about indigenous peoples and about the U.S. intervening in Mexico. Mm -hmm. But it's not a game about colonializing Mexico. That's fair, right? No, it's not a game about colonizing Mexico. Okay. No. I mean, I, there's, at this point in the history, there are, like, not even... I mean, I'm looking through the cards. There's, like, no... No, the, even, like, the U.S. intervention is just the U.S. deposing Port, Porfirio Diaz. Yeah. It's not the U.S. taking over. Yeah. But the other thing... Okay, so now we got as much of the surface-level politics out of the way... <laughs> that we know. Uh, that we know of at this moment. <laughs> I will tell you a little bit about the basics of how this game works before we get kind of swept away. I said that it's an, uh, a tableau builder. It's based on a market. 
that is constantly shifting and making everything cheaper, like a lot of games have markets like that. Mm -hmm. The whole point of the game is that you buy things like enterprises, which could be banks or mines or theaters or universities, to make yourself some money. You can fall into allegiance with different partners, um, well-known historical figures. You can get Teddy Roosevelt to back you out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and, And then what you do is you can play... Two different types of cards against your opponent or opponents. There's orange cards, which you play against someone else's businesses or enterprises, which could be things like strikes or um, a conspiracy or things like do bad things to their enterprises. Usually it stops them from producing money or it lets you steal them. Mm -hmm. And then you have black cards, which allow you to do things to them or to their partners. Like those are the assassination cards, their lawsuits, their things like that. Yeah. They're basically screwage cards. And all this boils down to a game that's about accumulating points. But not points like you're normally used to thinking. Mm-hmm. They're sort of specific points. Like, I have one loyalty point for this mm-hmm. business. Or one command point for this troop. And there, during the game, there will be certain cards that come out. That are called topple cards. And based on the current state of the regime. Whether it's uh, the packs. Uh, Pax Porfiriana regime, which means peace, U.S. intervention, martial law, or anarchy, it will essentially force you to check for victory conditions. Mm -hmm. And if someone has a certain number of those points based on what the current regime is, so if it's like U.S. intervention, if you have a certain number of outrage points, then you have successfully toppled Porfirio Diaz and you win. Yeah, because you made the U.S. mad enough to come in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very surface level. Yeah. It, it glosses over a lot of stuff. But it gives you a really basic idea about how it works. I mean, it's like, you're obviously not going to learn how to play based on that. If you if you try and learn based on that, you're going to really be missing a lot of stuff. <laughs> but it gives you a basic idea. Yeah. There's no map. It's no. all in the cards. Yeah. And like I said, this is like a game with just a huge deck of cards. You only use a small slice of them. And, and then you have some cubes and money. And then that's it. That's all you have. Um, you look, you look totally thrown right now. You no, I'm just thinking up about is down it. And down. I didn't know. No, it it's not up is down and down is up. I'm just thinking bees nest. Well, I knew it was a political bees nest, but I'm thinking about the idea that like it's not. I mean, to some extent, there it is deeply ingrained in colonialism because now I'm like, well, now I'm going to play the revolution every single time because I, mean, people, I won the revolution. I think once or twice. Yeah, the people responsible for the revolution. I'm going to assume are largely the people who are being jailed <laughs> and who yeah, you can go to jail in this. Too. Yep. <laughs> you can be jailed. I, I imagine a lot of the revolution. I mean, I know in fact, some of the revolution comes from things like slave revolts that the revolution are people who have probably historically been colonized for the most part. Yeah, I mean, you can Maybe do that. Not, not can... entirely, because there are these other figures within the government that are part of the revolution, for sure. These like, my people. person. He be, the, the indigenous people that are that are talked about in this game are the Yaki. Mm-hmm. Y-A-Q-U-I, which is showing off my ignorance, not a word I've ever seen or heard. I have, actually. Great job, because I felt like quite a stupid gringo when mm-hmm. I read that. And those are the people in this game that tend to be um, the like kind of trampled on uh, indigenous people of Mexico, um, proving that oh I really gosh. don't know anything about Mexican history, which I feel bad about. Yeah, but. so, like, that's part of, like, the revolution, like... Yeah, like, it's not ostensibly... Like, at this point, the European colonization has already occurred. Yeah. But what you're seeing are the after effects of that if you win by revolution. The fact that the parts of the revolution, like, that's definitely... Like this card. Aspect. So this is called a Lucky Tiger Mine, this card. It's an enterprise Mm -hmm. you put in front of you and you will gain money because it's a mine. But it says that if you can get unrest on here greater than the number of cubes, there is a slave revolt, and you will award this card as a revolutionary point to whoever the liberator may be. And that is quite literally, like, I managed to create so much unrest in that particular mind that there was a revolt. Mm-hmm. And now I am gaining revolution points because I'm going to incite a revolution. I just... it. It's definitely interesting. It definitely makes me think, like, geez, there's just... Anytime I play anything like this, I just think about how much I don't 
know. And how sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm manifestly unqualified to talk about games like this even. Um, which is an interesting experience and probably one that I should have. So on the one hand, I do appreciate being reminded, like, man, there's a lot going on. History, am I right? Yeah. So, I mean, there have been a lot of very interesting and well-done uh, writings on these PAX games online. Mm -hmm. A cursory Google search will will show you a lot of things. and Which is why, after having read all the things about Phil Eklund, but after having played this game, this game doesn't feel like what I would have expected it to feel like. If made by a person who yeah. is described as some sort of callous well, that's objectivist, my... which is kind of how he is described yeah. online, this game feels like a fairly well-rounded portrayal of a country that is sort of balanced on a fine point and is looking for it to be pushed in one direction into liberating an oppressed peoples, which essentially is what it is. Yeah. Oh, it's just fascinating. The card that I just handed you was more stuff I didn't know anything about. I think they're all on the top. Um, I thought. <laughs> Maybe not. No, the one. Uh, yeah, the Chi Kung Tong. About the flavor text. That I think I've even played this card and I didn't read it. But about, like, you can... It's a federal spy. Immigration to America is unrestricted for all, except the Chinese, due to the racist Chinese Exclusion Acts. Tongs were active in smuggling Chinese into the U.S. through Mexico. Their cover was Citizen of San Francisco, papers lost in the 1906 fire. So uh, there's just, there's a lot, there's a lot in here. And that's all, that's not even the game stuff. No, that's, just that's the, the flavor, flavor text. text. <laughs> yeah. So I... To give you an idea about, like I mentioned earlier, if we, we rewind a little bit, you talk about how I called this game opaque. Yeah. Um, PAX games are called opaque in one large measure because you can't necessarily see when the end game may be triggered or how you're able to win at any given time. You can sort of set yourself up, but like I said, it is balanced a little bit on a fine point. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't in control of where the government is headed, then you may not be able to win at any given time. Is that fair to say that? Yeah, but shouldn't you have set that up? Well, I mean, Kathleen is the planner. I'm not, <laughs> this is I mean, that's another me. thing that I find scary about these. That you were like, it took me a while. And I was like, no. Like, I just like looked and I was like, okay, here, the, all the loyalty cards are out. The government is already where I want it to be. I need to build an engine and get money so that I can end this game quickly, which I didn't end up doing. You, de I mean, there's definitely, like, you definitely thwarted me a couple times. Yeah. We played it three times, and I won twice. Twice, and you yeah. won once. Yeah, I, playing this game, it seemed fairly clear to me, like, what my plan was. The interesting thing, so, mixed through the sort of back two-thirds of the deck are these four topple cards. Mm -hmm. Whenever a topple card is bought from the market... It triggers like a check for end game win. Yeah. And I'm I'm kind of removing any thematics from this because it helps me understand the game when I sort of frame it in like mm -hmm. a very gamey way. Yeah. But all this has in game text and naming and yeah. You know they're not called any of this stuff. These gate these cards are bought and you check for end game win conditions. Mm-hmm. And that is all. They're based bought on or they they fall off naturally. Or they might fall off depending on how the market's working, and that will just trigger based on time. Mm -hmm. But you can also buy them as soon as you see them, and all the and like how you win the game at any time is simply based on which government regime is currently in power. Mm -hmm. So if you've accumulated lots of revolution points, you're yep. like I'm gonna have a revolution. That will not be the end game win condition unless. You have anarchy as the current regime. Yeah. It's like there's already some real trouble. But if you have like 50 revolution points and you only need like five, when you have like a, a million, you still can't win unless you can get the government into anarchy first. Which is why you should have a card in your hand allowing you to flip the government. And usually I try and think like that, <laughs> but not always. Because <laughs> planning, for me, it's hard. <laughs> but that's the interesting thing. And I think that's where like the quote-unquote opaque nature of the game comes from. Mm -hmm. That... There is not, like, the first person to X wins. Yeah. Or highest number of numerical points wins. Yeah. Like, no. You have to, like, steer the entire game 
And you have to be better at it than the other person. And prepare for whatever plans they have made. Yeah, whatever they have in their hand gets added to the number you have to beat. Yeah, so it's like, oh, Diaz has a baseline value of three, so you have to always beat that value. But to that baseline value, you add however many points the other player has, too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if Kathleen has one revolution point and Diaz has three then I have to have more than four. Mm-hmm. And it will always go up depending on how many the other player has. So yeah. it's also kind of like a race. You have to know, like, as my man Kenny Rogers said, you got to know when to hold them <laughs> and know when to fold them because there are going to be times where you're like, I can't win with Revolution. I thought I could do it. I can't do it. I mean, that is, to me, surprisingly apt because this game is exciting in the same way that playing something like poker can be. I mean, you think poker is boring. That's because but... I have no money. If I have no money, <laughs> then poker would be terribly exciting. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, you've played in, you love the poker element in, um, mm-hmm. Doomtown. It's the best part. That's, this game sometimes feels like that, it's, I think, sometimes. I where you're too, like, oh, I But can't. it's, it's, it's murkier. It is a little murkier, but it's not that much murkier if you're paying attention. Well, that's it's my not like you can't see what the other person has. I just, I, you this can, game has a lot of things you need yeah. to look at. And I tend to, Not. you really need to look at the other player and what they're doing. Yeah. And you I have to know. I tend to get short-sighted. I tend to get very myopic and like pull back and like. I mean, I, I'm I, sorry. I, like, I have to look at my stuff. Are you insane? Like that is my whole life. I know, but you're always more aware of what I have. Well, that's because in this game you have to be because the whole point of this game is one-upmanship. Yeah. So if it doesn't matter if I have six loyalty points if you have two, I can't win. If you have one and you can flip to get another, I can't win. If you have the ability to up the Diaz, whichever, the command, mm-hmm. the whatever, if you can up that number, I can't win. Mm-hmm. So, like, the win condition is predicated on what you have. And interestingly, there's not a ton that you can do to change elements of that. Yeah. You can assassinate partners who might give you information. Or if the Hasendado is flipped already, you, could assassinate you can assassinate, you can the assassinate the other player's main avatar. But there's only like so much you can do because if you're assuming that to win, at the very least, you need at least four. You need at least four at, points. At, if the other player has zero, you need four. Yeah. yeah, if the other person has zero, you need at least four. Typically... The four that you have or the ones that they, the four that you have are not going to be coming from partners and from asandados. At that point, you're trying to build a strategy that's mostly built on buildings. And even occupying buildings or setting them in a revolution doesn't take away the points. So at a certain point, you can't, it's not like other games where, like even something like magic, where you're like, okay, cool. All I need to win is to have more than this person, so I'm just going to destroy what that person has. It's really hard to destroy what the other person has. And the really interesting thing is that, and that's why this game is considered mean. It is. It's very much considered a mean game. But when you do things, the other player, mm-hmm. like one of the games that I lost, the, the game that I lost... <laughs> was because I was I had being... to throw that article in there. I mean, I only lost once. I lost once, just once. That's <laughs> it, just once. So the, the game that I lost, I lost it because I was being unnecessarily aggressive. Yep. Because after the first game, we both said, I think you need to be aggressive in this. And I took that at face value. So I was like, yeah, be You aggressive. said you need to be aggressive. No, you said that the half an hour into our first game. Yeah. And I was like, okay, maybe the second time through, I'll be more aggressive because that's... That was mm-hmm. what our main takeaway halfway through the first game. Mm-hmm. So I was. I, like, assassinated somebody, and I caused strike, and I nationalized her industries, and I was like, ha-ha, look at all your money that I'm just taking away. And then she won, because whenever you do something bad to somebody, like, let's say I assassinate one of her partners. She, like, has a Bolshevik journalist or whatever. I can assassinate this person, and what happens is that she gets that card as something like outrage, like, me doing something bad to her mm-hmm. causes outrage. Yep. Which is one of the ways you can win. Yeah. And I did so many bad things to her. Of the same variety. Of the same variety. Really that made she the United used States that mad. to win. And that yeah. was how she won. 
So in a way, yes, the game is mean. You can do bad stuff to other players. Mm-hmm. And you can do it frequently. Ugh. But it ultimately helps them as much as it helps you at the time. Provided they're paying attention. Because you can't really play this game with a single strategy unless you're incredibly lucky and you can basically get enough loyalty to win with the regime in the first, like, five or six turns. Or you just get you really need... good cards in the market that allow you to get, like, a That's what points, I mean about lucky. A point series running yeah. before the other player. Yeah, Can... it's luck. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to really diversify your strategy. And you need to have at least two, which are usually predicated by your Asandado, who, who can be you a one of two when things. You flip him over. Yeah. yeah. Which is a cool idea. Yeah. You're like, have a quote unquote loyalist Asandado. You, you got an ace in the hole. But then, like, deeper in the game, you can be like, forget that. I'm going to reveal that I'm actually a revolutionary. Revolutionary, yeah. which gives me a revolutionary point, which helps me to win. Yeah. So that aspect is really cool. And the thing that we didn't talk about at all which I think is, I think I mentioned it very briefly, is that this is a huge deck of cards. It's like Mm -hmm. 210 or 220 cards. You only, in a two-player game, use 60 of them. Mm -hmm. That's it. And I've been trying really hard to, like, shuffle them as much as possible because in a lot of other games, if you think about just playing, like, Blackjack or something with, like, a 52-card deck, you know that there are, like, four kings in there. Mm -hmm. So... That's fine. You're like, if I'm looking for a card, I know it's in there. Yeah. And it's like that in a lot of games, you know? Like, even with Magic, like, yeah. I know my deck. Are my th- card these are is all coming. unique. They're, I'm pretty sure that they're all unique, one. And two, um, you don't know the makeup of the deck you're playing with. Yeah. So in, like, late stage game, you can never rest on the idea that I will get a card that will allow me to change yeah. the regime. You just might not. Yeah. There might not be any more. And you yeah. don't know. You might be one point down from what the other person has from winning, and you may never see another card that makes any... That, that, that affects will help it. you. And normally, I hate that. Really? Normally, I, yeah. I'm like, that seems kind of broken. But that's... The point of this game is political... And intrigue. a certain level of... So you can't... Randomness yeah, that it, creates more intrigue. Yeah. And that's because you not have frustrating. to, yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to plan for it. You have to say like, this that's, is my primary, yeah. this is my primary idea. But on the back burner, I'm also gonna do this. Yeah, like so you it's have an eventuality. to have. Like, yeah, there may not be an opportunity for me to overturn this. Government. In which case, I'm gonna flip this stuff. I'm gonna start sabotaging myself. Oh like, yeah, which you can. It's called a straw man. Yeah, and you can start doing bad things to your own people. Which gives you those points. Like, I'm going to assassinate one of my partners, which gives my people outrage. But it helps me maybe win. Yeah, and so I guess the takeaway is that I feel like in terms of understanding this, I do understand it pretty well. I may not have won as frequently as you. But but she knows the game better than I (laughs) do. He knows the game better than I do. (laughs) Which kind of grosses me out. I feel like... She understood the the that whole, like... Frank Underwood thing is like disgusting. <laughs> like I don't want to be like that. Like she, I, I don't want to be like I don't. Yeah, I like I don't want to be associated with Kevin Spacey in any kind of way. There's something a little bit slimy <laughs> about it. But you are freeing the people. I mean, am I though? Not always. You I want cause a revolution. Yeah. No, I didn't cause a revolution. I did it on... I had Teddy Roosevelt charging in. Are you loyalist pig? <laughs> no, I, that wasn't loyalty. Oh, that's, sorry. That's outrage. Yeah. That's the U.S. The Americans using the big them. stick. Yeah. Oh, man. It was not the carrot this time. Oh, no. Oh, man. Yeah, this game is messing with my head. Which may be in good ways. I don't know. I. That's why I find War Games fascinating, because I really... I mean, I can say in an honest and non-dismissive way, makes you think... I mean, you said that in a very dismissive way, but I see what you're... Makes you think. Uh, It it, it it does. does. (laughs) About, like, the consequences of your actions? Yes. Is it worth doing something for an immediate gain if it will ultimately severely and maybe lose me the game down the line? I mean, like, forget the game. Like, (laughs) this is the battle for your soul. I mean, I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna go. (laughs) Uh, But, like, there is just something, like, so interesting to me about the line between entertainment and respect and like where that line lies. I mean there's still a podcast somewhere in the making about 
about a I labyrinth know. because labyrinth it's definitely a war game yeah but it's contemporary nature is what sets it apart from this game yeah i mean it's about the war on terror we keep talking about it and yeah. it's a game that's worth talking about like that's the game where we're going to have the real conversation Ugh. about theme and like, but i have no repercussions what you're doing problem feeling respectful and guilty and depressed and upset when i play that game this game is entertaining. And that's gross a little bit to me. Like, playing the game for me in this game is satisfying. Well, you can remove yourself from the labyrinth because you you say you don't like it. And you're, you're turned off by it. And that does not exist in this game for you. Yeah. You like this game. Yeah, and that's what I mean. You like it and you enjoy it. Yeah. I, I and like, it... Yeah, because I do, I find it entertaining in the sense that it's something that I will do, but is that messed up? I don't know. Is watching war movies messed up? I don't know. There's a certain element of understanding, even if it doesn't teach you, uh, like I might act physically learning about Mexican history, no, but I'm at least learning about what happened yeah but like is that i don't know it's just so fascinating it's like what i don't know i feel like this game is despite getting your hands dirty with what you choose to do in it which you do Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like this was made in a uh, this is an odd word i guess disrespectful or cavalier manner i don't get that impression from it no, I don't get that impression either. What I'm saying is, like, it's, like, the thing that I find most fascinating about these games is, like, how do you approach them? Like, it's not about the game. It's, like, what do you bring to it? Because this yeah. game, there are some games that I'm, like, that seems straight up disrespectful. Like, I'm not going to play a game where it's, like, the point is to colonize. Like, I mean, one of my favorite designers, as I've already said, is Alexander Pfister, mm-hmm. who made Great Western Trail, which we, I really like, and he mm-hmm. made um, Blackout Hong Kong, which neither of us really liked, mm-hmm. and he made Oh My Goods, which we both like, but he also made a game called Mombasa, mm-hmm. which is about colonizing Africa, and I am not going to buy that game, because it makes me feel bad. Yeah. Playing, like, the idea of playing it makes me feel icky. Yeah. And this so, game, I don't feel that way playing this game. No, and I don't either, but I do... Like, that's kind of what I was saying. Like, there are some games that I'm like, yeah, I'm just not... I'm, like, straight up not going to play something that I'm like, this feels, like, not well thought through, not respectful, not understanding of the complexity, not understanding of things um, at all. Um, I don't... I wouldn't group this there. So, to me, a game like this is like, but what do you bring to it? Like, what is the right attitude that you come into it with? Like... If you're playing a game like this, should you have done research first? Like, should you know what you're doing? Should you know the subject material? Like, should you think about these things when you play a game? Is it okay to do these things? Is it... It's just interesting to me. I can say that I know much, much more about the Mexican Revolution after having played this game. Yeah, I would say that that's the case. Which I think is only a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. But it's just... It's interesting about like the like what you carry into something like this. I, I guess think that I would say that's the reason. You know, mechanics aside, people say that Pax Emancipation is the game that doesn't really work on a mechanical level. Yeah, um, because it's for at least half of the game is sort of semi-cooperative, mm-hmm. which we've talked about before that we don't think it really works. Yeah. Um, beyond the mechanics of it, I am not interested in playing a game like this about slavery absolutely not even if the point of the game is to end it which it is i mean it's called emancipation right i still like i don't want to play that game yeah i i might have someone like show it to me and like demo it or whatever but i would be very hard pressed to go out of my way to find it to buy it to learn it it's just a game that i have a problem trivializing it and this game doesn't feel like it trivializes the Mexican Revolution. I don't think. 
I mean, but what do you mean by trivialize? Like, Does is it just the basic act of making a game trivialize? Yes, that is. The, that's, that's exactly. That's the question. The question. And we talked about that when we were talking because about labyrinth. Like, does the fact that a game it, exists that is a post nine eleven ter- we're on terror game? Does that the fact that it exists trivialize it? Yeah. And I, I think it's it comes down to how they do it. Yeah. Because a game that, but, can be respectful or it can be not. But that's what I'm saying. Because beyond, I would say that this game appears, and again, I'm not maybe educated enough to know, and some people might be really mad about it this. It goes without saying that we can both say that. But, but it appears that this game is, if it, I would say it's probably respectful, and is at least very well researched. It's certainly that. I mean, very as, historically detailed. And I, this I, is, but for the record, coming from two white people talking about a game designed by a white guy about Mexicans. Yeah, that, so yeah. So that like, who goes knows? Without saying, throw that caveat in. Yeah. So I mean, like, I, like on the surface, I would say like it seems well researched at the very least. Yeah. But to me, I probably from the outset, like, wouldn't put it in the camp of being immediately something that should be... No, I lost it. Well, on the flip side of this is that a lot of the things... And this is another thing that's really interesting to me. This is not a simulation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the, like, dark and sinister things you may be doing may not have ever happened. Yeah. Like, when we were talking earlier about, like, you can assassinate one of the Asandado's daughters. Mm-hmm. That... Probably didn't happen. I mean, well, considering has, like, all these people, name like all everything. of these Asandados seemed to have been killed. <laughs> but uh, maybe not their families, or maybe not, I don't know. Yeah. Again, historically, I'm not, not a sure. source book on this. But I also feel like there's a level of removal there. Mm-hmm. That this is not a simulation. Yeah. It's not but like Labyrinth playing... isn't a simulation either. No, but the event cards that you play are all real events. You just said that's true of this game. These as aren't well. events. These that's are like true. these are like pieces of a puzzle. It's like real proper nouns. I mean, there are some events, and yeah, but they're like get you nationalize an industry or you you know yeah the things that happen in this are like here are some a whole bunch of proper nouns that are real yeah and here are some things that you can do to them yeah versus when you play labyrinth there are like UN sanction cards that have like dates on them like these sanctions were done yeah. on this day yeah you know so like those are real things or like um uh buto's assassination is in yeah uh labyrinth like that's a real person who was really assassinated I mean, and that's so in that game these people but, like that actual card is in labyrinth yeah so these are not the same for that reason. Like, this is, again, not a simulation. Yeah. This is sort of, like, potentially alternate history. But you're yeah. playing with real people. And I think that's where it gets sticky. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I mean, like... That's where it's interesting, because it is historically accurate. But it's also, like, kind of sticky. Because And because of that, like, you don't have the only impetus you have to be either engaged or respectful has to come from you from within the from player within. <laughs> yeah that's true but it's a game that sets up a system where that onus is not one that you have to shoulder mm. you don't have to really like think about what you're doing in this game until you like reflect on it yeah the game can be as abstract as you want yeah it can be like i'm gonna play this to get this at this outrage token and it's like okay cool or, you, like you said, if you read the cards, you're like, oh, I'm going to assassinate that person. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, wow, okay, that's a little bit different than you have to discard your... Yeah. You have to discard that blue card or whatever. I, I yeah. don't know. I I think that this is like a, a rabbit hole that you could go down, down, down. <laughs> and then I don't think you want to. No, I mean, I do. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I, I ultimately, at the end of the day, and I think you already said it, and the reason you feel so conflicted is that you do enjoy this game. Yes, it's entertaining. And that's what I mean. There's not like a sort of like heavy didactic feeling to it that some other games might Or heavy handedness yeah. like you would see in something yeah. like Endeavor. Endeavor is a much more heavy handed take yeah. on vaguely comparable themes. Now that's strictly colonialist. Yeah. This is like I said, I would not describe this game as a colonialist game, mm-hmm. but it has colonialist stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um that Endeavor Age of Sail is like a colonialist game. 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that this has like that opacity that I was talking about? Do you think that this is an opaque game? What does that mean again? Like, what do you difficult to like pin down? Difficult to say. Like, it's clear how the different mechanisms interact, how the gears turn. I see like the design in it, but I think once I get going, it does. Like I used that word earlier. It does get murkier, like how things interact. And maybe that's because I'm more tactical. Mm. So for me, the systems just get kind of muddier. Not in a bad way. Well, I mean, it's because I just, I think that that's more to, to me, that's more to do with play style. Because yeah. pretty much immediately in a game, based on the cards that I could possibly get and the cards that I have immediately in front of me, like my Asenado, I have kind of an idea of what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to diversify in two directions so that I have a plan and a backup plan. Mm -hmm. You, uh, and diversify is not even the right word because that's your word. You tend to be like, let me put this out. Let me put that out. No matter what she does, this is going to have me a contingency. This could be a helpful card. I'm going to put that in my hand. Pretty much immediately from the beginning, I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to go this route, then I'm going to need to set this up and set this up. This card's going to combo with this card. I'm going to get my money engine rolling so I can buy whatever cards I need. I also am going to need a card to flip it to whatever um, regime I'm working on. And I'm going to need a card to flip it to the other regime I'm working on. Yeah. Yeah. So for me... I don't necessarily think so. I do think that there are times in this game where I've been like, woohoo, I've got it. And then I've like looked over at your cards and been like, oh, I don't got it. I forgot about X. I forgot about Y. Sometimes it is hard to tell how things might interact. But I wouldn't say that for me, it's, I don't tend to get lost. Because sometimes if I'm, if I haven't even set up my second backup plan, I'll just work on my first and get about halfway through the game and realize like, no, I'm never going to be able to like one up what you're doing to my plan. Therefore, I will look at the board. Oh, there's three types of this card out. I'm going to work I'm on buying those that. cards. That's why you got to know when to fold them. Candy yeah. Says. Do you, do you think this game is mean? Because we don't characteristically play mean games. Although, I think we, you said it a while ago. Like, if I'm going to play a mean game, I'm I don't, fine with it. I'm going to be mean. The weird thing is, I don't... Whenever you mess with my stuff, I never considered it mean as much as I considered it selfish. It's a selfish game. You, like, anytime that you're doing something mean to somebody else, it's typically to benefit you. Mm-hmm. There are very few times that you would, like, mess with somebody else just to, like, mess up their plans just as to be much vindictive. as... Yes. <laughs> it's, like, it, there's not... there. Uh, there is, like, an economy of what you can do in this game, and you have a lot you want to get done. So, like, yeah. I would never buy a card, pay for a card, just to mess with what you were doing, unless it directly benefited me. Like, it prevented you from losing. Yes. Or stopped me from... Losing. Like, I might assassinate one of your partners, but because that partner gave you the one, like... You gave you one extra of the thing that I'm working on. Exactly. So I would never mess with your stuff unless there was a direct benefit to my plan. Like, not even just me. Like, I'll just put this over here and see what happens. So, like, I don't... I wouldn't consider it mean because to me, like, mean is about hate drafting and about like messing with other people's plans i'm gonna screw you just to screw you yes because like i don't want your plan to go well i don't care about your plan unless it's standing in the way of my plan which is what i mean by selfish i think hate drafting is a much easier thing to point at and say like that is mean yeah because it helps you not at all and there is i agree there's some semantics and like doesn't hurting you isn't that the same thing as helping me? And it's like well, not, not always, really. not yeah. always. Because sometimes this it is not a game where you would just junk. like screw around with your plans for no reason. Like I yeah. wouldn't throw a wrench. In, like I wouldn't go out of my way to assassinate an outrage card that you had just because. Just because. Because I don't care. Yeah. But if that if I'm trying to win with outrage and no, you are one point it. away because of that, then I'm going to do it. So it is more selfish. And I did do some hate drafting in this game. I think that I took a free card and sold it. Yep. Because I knew you wanted it. Yep. I was like, I got to get rid of that because she's going to take it. Because I could have used it. Yeah. But I, to me, that doesn't feel like even, uh, like, that's like, just. It's the difference between 
being mean and self-preservation. Yes. There's a difference. Yeah. It might not be, it might be a, a, a very thin, thin line. Yeah. <laughs> but it's there. And I think that it's worth pointing uh, out. I would never take a card because you could maybe use it later. Yeah. that's. A I would example. never be like, here's a good card. I'm going to take it so he can't have the good card. I'm not taking a card unless I need it. For a lot of the game, money And I'm not taking a too... card away unless I know that you need it. Yeah. For a lot of the game, money is too important to like waste it on yeah. crap. Yeah. Now, it's not like the money is super tight, because in every game at the end, we've kind of each been flush. Yeah. But there's always better things to spend your actions on. Yeah. Because you only have three, and on any given turn, sometimes you're like, I, I, I'm fine, I can do two things, and then maybe one other one that's will help me. Yeah. But for a lot of turns, it's like, I could do like 30 things. Yeah. And so, why waste one action on... A, a waste, like a literal like waste. Like a single thing that is maybe going to hurt you, but maybe not. The funny thing is that I asked about being mean, because that was the other thing. I This game was described as opaque and mean. Mm. And I think it's because it feels like a Euro, looks like a Euro, but it's really, really interactive. Yeah. And because of that, it, and because of what you're actually doing, like playing assassination cards, it sounds mean. I just don't think it's also, it's not that mean, because like, it, it hurts me. you. Yeah. You screw with me too much. That's how I lost. You won the game for me. Yeah. I mean, I don't think this game is mean. I think it's just highly interactive. Yeah. Which in a tableau building card game, that is not somehow you normally toppling expect. a political regime. Yeah, you're like, boy, this sounds kind of dry. And it's not. No. This is not it's a dry not. game. But I think it's highly, highly interactive. I wanted to ask about meanness, though, because... In the first play of this game, Kathleen got incredibly angry at me yeah. when I did something. And it was, like, anger than she may have ever gotten during a game. <laughs> I mean, I was, like, play, mostly kidding except, during that, oh, too. I don't know about that. Except no, I was we, mad, but I was also, like, feeding on the fact that you, like, thought it was funny except, how mad I was. I mean, the last time she got that mad was when we played Magic, like, like years ago. It was, like, five-plus <laughs> years ago when, like, those magic games could really take you to a dark place yeah. of frustration. Yeah. And that was what happened during our first game of this, and I was like, oh, man, she's really mad. Yeah. And and I think that now I've gotten a couple more plays, and I can see how that would happen. I don't think I would get mad anymore. I might be like, ah, oh, I found that frustrating. But I can't imagine getting angry. Well, I don't think I would ever again either. Because you know that it's just, like, comes with the territory? No, because the first time we played it, I was like, I get this game, and he doesn't. That's true, but the thing that I <laughs> like, did I looked at it and I was like, "I can do this." But the thing I can I did win that, this really the quickly. The thing that I did that made her mad was not like an accident. I did it on purpose. Yeah. Which I was like, I hope that she doesn't get mad when I do this. And I did. <laughs> she did. Yeah. But I mean, it's very mad when you did that. I think that this, for the right kind of person, is an exceptional game. Yeah. Like I, we already we talked about the the the, the sticky wicket of the politics here. But, I mean, if you're a person who is okay, if you're a person, it seems like I'm being dismissive. I'm not. If you're a person who's okay playing war games, and some people are, Mm -hmm. and I'm fine with that. I play war games, but I understand people who are not comfortable with it. I'm not comfortable with it. But if you're a person who appreciates, like, the historical aspect. Yeah. And is okay with games that have dark things in them. Yeah. And I don't think that this game is as dark as other war games that I have. Yeah. Like, I have some dark stuff. Like, in Comancheria, there's some dark stuff in that game. And it's historically accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, like, disease breaking out in in your indigenous people as you're trying to survive. Like, that happens in that game. Or in, like, No Retreat, and, you know, you're playing, like, Panzers against the Russians. Like, dark stuff happens. Yeah. If you're okay with that... Like, you appreciate the historical aspects, and then this is a, a a no-brainer, I think. I mean, I think it's a really good game. It's exciting. It's very puzzly. Having, like, a shifting endgame condition that also depends on what the other person is doing, and then depends on what this sort of independent uh, regime cards are, are facing out. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, all that stuff is really cool. Yeah. I mean, mechanically, I feel like I, I could talk about this game for a long time, mechanically. Yeah. The things you can do. You can extort other people's businesses. Yeah. You can, like, build railroads that might make it harder for them, actually, to deploy certain troops. Did you ever notice that, like, rebel troops, it they do better on foot? 
mm. versus federal troops who are cheaper to play on trains. Yeah. So, like, if I build trains and I know you're going heavy rebels, you have to pay more to move them on the trains. Yeah. Like, things like that are really cool yeah. because you can really mess with people. There are strife cards that might come out that might make other players discard, like, cards in their tableau. That's what he did. That's, what I, so that's what I did that made her so mad. She had to discard a card that she really wanted. <sighs> and she got really mad. So mad at you. And the, that idea is also super cool. And that their headlines, you can, like, control the media, essentially. And that's what causes the strife. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. But if you're not comfortable with some historically based games that have you getting your hands a little dirty, yeah. which this game kind of does. I mean, honestly, even if you are, I feel like, I feel like it's worth a conversation. That, I, I agree a thousand percent. I, I don't know what I would say. It's not like that. It's not, it's a conversation that's meant to occur, but not to offer any kind of like resolution on anything but i think that these conversations are important because while i say these things and sometimes some of these games do make me uncomfortable sometimes this one included i don't believe necessarily in censorship i wouldn't say don't read something like lolita don't ban lolita read it and figure out how you feel about it and the case we made like not making art and I use that as a blanket statement, meaning like write books, make movies, design yeah. a simple board game about historical things gives the impression that you are erasing history. Yeah. And like I'm... not writing a story about the Holocaust yeah. is like pretending that it didn't happen. Yeah. And that's obviously a, a different example and a much more uh, Yeah. And like, I, should you pay seventeen fifteen get popcorn to go watch movies about the Holocaust? It's a question that people have asked before. Yeah. It's it is. interesting. I mean, especially like 1917 is like up it's for an Academy for Award. Best picture right now. Yeah, it's just. It's a lot to think about. And I think that at the end of the day, we don't and have. And so an is Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, <laughs> like, we, we don't have answers. As Kathleen said, these are things we're talking about. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. And like, really, I don't even know that I have like uh, opinions, like capital O. I have lots of sort of like feelings and ways that I'm like this makes me uncomfortable is this okay is this not okay like what yeah I don't know it's just I do think things like this are interesting for the purpose of having these conversations mm -hmm. yeah well you have the history in your one hand and I I can't remove the history from yeah. this game like it is inexorably tied to it yeah every card in your hand is jam-packed with it yeah and then the other hand I have this weird split feeling where I'm like yeah but as a game it's awesome. It is. Like, I get carried away by, like, the story Well, and that that's why I think this is almost, like, a more interesting game to me than something like Labyrinth, where I'm, like, wholesale, like, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't know what this exercise is proving, but I'm not sure if I'm okay with that. Yeah. This is... I'm torn. And it's... I'm gonna have a lot of thinking to do. Because I also think that I could be pretty good at this game, mm -hmm. which I find a little unsettling. I think that, if anything, I make this game harder for Kathleen because I have no plans that I'm just sort of like, oh, yeah, uh, like just... stumbling around in the dark. And so she's like, listen, I had this perfect plan and you just like fell off a train <laughs> and landed in the middle of it. Get out of here. Why didn't you have a plan too? <laughs> yeah. And so work on your own stuff. I, I think the only way that I win is that I don't really have a strategy and sometimes I just fall into it. Yeah. Um, but I, it's a fascinating game. Yeah. I apparently of this pack series, PAX uh, Renaissance mm -hmm. is both the heaviest. I don't find this game that heavy really at all. Not Once we got going, I was like, oh, this just feels like no. like a heavy LCG, like yep. Doomtown. It feels a lot like that. Yeah. Um, but the heaviest game is PAX Renaissance, and apparently they're going to Kickstarter, I told you this, for a new edition of PAX Renaissance in March. Hmm. And I will, as long as I have the money, have no qualms about backing that. Hmm. I will delightfully um, see what the best game that this designer has to offer is i mean is there really that much unrest in the renaissance what is i have frankly no clue you're apparently it's a game know. about I, like I'd... manipulating the entire history of the renaissance for, as a banker behind your desk that's like the idea of that game huh so what that entails i don't know currently it's out of print and you have to pay uh, a king's ransom to get it for this tiny little five by five box it's like 200 dollars on amazon oh gosh, or that's insane. but uh, you know i'm really curious to see what that holds yeah Again, we don't know anything about this person who made this game um, other than at this point that he has very clever ideas about game design. That's the only thing that I can say for sure. 
Yeah. And that's 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 Pax Porfiriana. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot to think about. It is, and it's a lot to consider. Yeah. Uh, I think any historical don't game stop listening be to us. Considered. Remember when you did Comancheria and we lost all of our listeners. <laughs> Yes, indeed, I do remember yeah. that. <laughs> it's war games, man. I think that any historical game deserves a consideration from a fair historical perspective. Hmm. Whether you like it, whether you don't, whether you think it's fair or not, I think that, you know, it's worth looking at it and seeing if it has anything to learn from it. Yeah. Which yep. this game, I think, does. Yeah. Which is, makes it even more interesting. Yeah. So that that's that. All right. Are we totally off base? Do you agree? Do you have complicated feelings about Pax Porfiriana? You do you need to tell us all of, uh, about these people? Um, or do you think we're a couple of stupid snowflakes and you're like, come on, guys. It's a card game. Relax. I mean, yeah. That's fair, too. <laughs> Not really. I mean, opinions, everybody's got them. They're, yeah. like, they're like, you know, what's his... <laughs> yeah. All right. So, we're going to go think about this some more. But you can email us at uh, player1player2podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'm curious to see if anyone has any opinions of it. For a game that I think is as good as this game is, it, it doesn't... It, not a lot of people seem to have played it. Hmm. These games feel very niche, which which is one reason I think that they remind me of war games. Yeah. I don't know why it's not higher ranked or... I, I don't know. It might just be that the publisher is very small. I'm not sure. Yeah. It is a, a, it's not the best looking game. But that's um, for another fine. day. Yeah. The cards are sort of ugly. I think they look like war game cards. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening. I hope that... You can also follow Eric. Oh, you can... Eric.the.wellread. I'm on Instagram. 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 <laughs> Instagram. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. I hope that you will take a look at this game. Yeah. At least read about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a website that writes game reviews called, and you're going to laugh at this, but that's okay. It's called Space Biff, <laughs> which is actually written by a super smart guy who I read a lot of his reviews. Is his name Biff? His name is Dan. I forget his last name. It gives it a T. But Not he Biff. has a review of every PAX game. Huh. And they're all really interesting and really well written. Okay. And if you're curious, check out Space Biff's review. Cool. My man Dan of Pax Furiana or any of the Pax games to get a better idea of what they have to offer. Alright. This is Player 2 signing off. Player 1. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.